Right now, we have been in the middle of a historic election in the city council, where there is a chance to change four out of the five seats city council, including the mayor's office. There's also a likelihood at this point, certainly a very good chance for there not only to be a majority of the council as people of color, but even a majority of black city councilors. That not only be the first time that it happened in Portland, I believe we only had our second African-American, our third African-American city councilor two years ago. This is happening at the same time as the global pandemic. It's happening at the same time as a historic conversation around racial equity and the police. And right now we are honored to be joined by Loretta Smith, former county commissioner and current candidate for the city council. Loretta, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I am well. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of um, tough days out there for, for a lot of folks, but um, I'm encouraged and inspired that we, we're getting on the right track. You just had call time. Explain what call time is. <laughs> it's what uh, candidates do to help raise money to fund their campaigns, and you have to be very disciplined to be in call time for hours at a time every day. And you just finished. How'd it go? It went well. It went really well. (laughs) And so you spent, how much time do you have to spend a day doing call time? A couple, three hours a day? Uh, About three to four hours a day. Yeah. And, um, you know, because I'm in open and accountable elections, which I I actually love, um, it takes me a little bit longer to raise the same amount of money. But what you do is you engage more people in the process. And, um, you, you cut out the whole idea of, you know, needing big, big checks and the max checks for, for our race is $250. And I was really proud in the primary that the majority of my, um, my funds came from people who, who gave me $18 or less. And so what that means is you get what a six X match for every contribution. We get a six six time match. For everything um, $50 and below. So for every $50, the city of Portland, by being in this program, they give me $300. Has it changed who you spend time calling? Well, yes and no. But you're gonna, there's, there's, the, there's a handful of people who always give, and those, those are the old standbys. But, but being in the open and accountable election, it, it kind of forces you to talk to people who you can get a $5 check from. So... If I'm in the grocery store, I'm talking to folks, uh, letting them know what I'm doing. I, I got a lot of checks and money from people just being in the community. So today you released <laughs> a, it's, it's a big day, okay? It's, we're talking on a Monday and right. you're in the middle of the city council race. You have been talking about police reform. You've been talking about racial justice for more than the last few weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us what's been, give us a window to your thought process and your sort of workflow over the last, I don't know, 72 hours or a week. How's that been going? It's, it's been going good. We've been trying to figure out um, the, the, the entire um, committee to elect Loretta Smith. We've been trying to figure out what can we do around uh, justice and police accountability? How can we make a difference in what's happening on the ground right here in Portland right now? And, um, I think people would be looking to us to see what kind of ideas we have. As a mother of a son that I raised here in Portland, 
who's a black son, um, I'm looking through a different lens. Um, I'm looking at if something happened to him, what would be some of the barriers and things that I would want if what happened to George Floyd happened to my son? Um, I'd want the ability to be able to say to the police department, you put your son, you put your knees in, in my son's back. I need to be able to sue you for that. And at the current um, time, we can't. So I've been asking, I released a, a package that would give um, the city of Portland uh, direction to have our government relations fight to take those um, qualified immunity uh, protections off uh, police officers, because right now you can't sue them because they're protected. And so if you, what has to happen for your proposal to go through, does it just have to be voted by the city council? Is there something that has to be done by a well, quarter I mean, state legislature? I mean, these are these are some of the things the legislature, the Oregon legislature would actually have to remove the um, qualified immunity. One of the one of the things that you could do on the local level without any help, you could indemnify uh, their rights if, say, a police officer was convicted of a particular uh uh, crime against uh, someone, then we could take those rights off on a case-by-case basis. But I'm saying we need to take the whole thing off. We need to make sure that qualified uh, immunity is is done away with. We also need to make sure that um, we redirect parts of the police bureau's uh, funding. And so my idea is to take away 20% of their of their budget redirect those funds to communities of color and um, have them empower and being and engaged in, in making their lives better. And then the third thing is to, to do an immediate, um, uh, immediate do away with uh, tear gas, uh, rubber bullets, uh, long range acoustic um, kinds of things in, in, in their arsenal. To, to be able to, to do crowd control and um, actually put a uh, ballot measure. The fifth thing would be to put a ballot measure on, on the 2020 November uh, ballot that says you have to have in the charter a citizens review committee of all the excessive force stuff that goes on in, in policy so that that's in the charter and it's not um, discretionary whether or not we have a oversight committee. So I want to make sure that I have these right. So the first would be to do away with qualified immunity. There could still be indemnification. That means the state could still have an insurance policy essentially cover something that a police officer was sued for, but it would allow for a personal lawsuit by right. someone who was caused harm to. That was the first one. Right. The second one I heard was a 20% cut to the police department budget and that right. being directed to communities of color. Say more about that. Say more about the kind of project that would fund and the kind of thing that would take away from the police department. Well, it, they would have to determine what's going to be taken away. We just take 20% off their budget. And so if there were programs to help African-Americans uh, for a home ownership, uh, for uh, folks who are entrepreneurs to give them loans, to uh, help with uh, at-risk youth and programs that serve them with wraparound supports to help them to complete high school. Those are the kind of things that make a difference in a young person's life and you know, opportunities to go to uh, college and have a higher education. I would much prefer to spend those dollars to help uh, those impacted com communities um, than to leave it in the police budget and they're harming our community.
Third thing you said that I wrote down was to get rid of tear gas, rubber bullets, mm-hmm. and what I wrote down as sonic blasters. Why yes, do you think those things? Why do you think those things are not needed? And how should police distribute uh, disperse crowds if, in fact, they should disperse crowds? Well, there there are ways to you you have to put in de-escalation tools, and you have to use your verbal skills and de-escalation uh, skill sets to deal with people because people. For the most part, what I've seen, they want to uh, peacefully protest. And there's a small group of bad actors who are out there trying to um, masquerade as, as, as someone else. The Black Lives Matter folks, the young, young men who are out there who, who are protesting, they're protesting um, peacefully. The other groups uh, like the NAACP and, and other people who are just you know, fed up in this community who want to do something, they're out there peacefully protesting. And I think we're getting bombarded by the the folks who were getting the early attention. Um, And some may call them anarchists, but they were the ones who were, who were upsetting the whole apple cart and looting and, and, and tearing up property. I don't, I don't believe in that. I think there's folks out there who are doing the right thing that we need to uh, hold them up and improve them and engage them in a way that it doesn't require, you know, rubber bullets to get them out of the way. You know, when we put that curfew on Jefferson, that really angered a lot of people because they were not planning to do anything wrong, but they got a curfew put on them. I think that just agitates the the folks who are out in the streets. And the fourth thing you said is, well, I actually want to follow up on that a little bit. Do you think that the police are provoking some of the conflict or do you think the police don't really provoke it? They just need to handle it better. I think they, they need to be able to manage it. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that we have to use the tear gas and the rubber bullets. And I was really thrown back when they were talking about bringing in the national guard, because as you know, uh, in 1968, when Lyndon Johnson brought in the, the, the national guard, uh, and earlier, it was to assist Dr. King so that he could have a peaceful protest and to protect him and the folks who were peacefully protesting. And then somewhere along the line after that, um, our streets became militarized when there were a lot of racial um, you know, problems in the streets and they brought out the, the National Guard. And so to, to have that in my mind when the governor was talking about that last week, you know, it just kind of upset me a bit. And so I thought we got to do something different. We got to be better. We're, we're totally better than this. Did the mayor make a mistake in calling a citywide curfew? Yes, sir. How come, or what should they have done differently? I don't think that it, it warranted a, a curfew. I think that uh, we need to show people that, that they have, we're going to give them their constitutional rights to, um, to use their voice. But those folks who, the small group of folks who were out there agitating, those are the folks that we needed to de-escalate and use other tools in our toolbox other than tear gas to get them out of the way. Um, it, just, it just agitated them more. And the other thing you said was the Citizens Review Committee. In fact, you want to put something on the ballot. That would I want to re- put something on the ballot. Right now we have a Citizens Review Committee, and it's at the discretion of the mayor to be able to to, to bring to convene that together. But if we put it into um, practice 
and put it into kind of, you know, what the city's Bible is, the charter, I think that um, that would be helpful because it's not, you know, it's not at the discretion of, of the mayor or the city council that we have to have it all the time. We need to have that community input. You'd put it in the city charter and what would that review committee, that citizens review committee review, what would they do and who would convene it and what would be their power? And, the, and, the, and that's what we would have to talk about in the charter review. So charter review is over a, a, a number of days and the charter review would, would determine what their role was. But it was it would be for sure that they would look at the excessive force policies. It would look it would look at um, you know policies like we right now. What I'm calling for is to take the chokehold off. Some people say that the chokehold is finished, but it's not. If if in extreme circumstances the police are allowed to use it, and this is nothing different from what's happening on a national level. And trust me, we did not plan this. But if you notice nationally, Nancy Pelosi and, and the um, leadership and the Democrats in the House of Representatives, they also released a uh, justice uh, police accountability uh, national law, which pretty much does the same thing. It takes away the, um, it takes away the immunity, it takes away the chokehold, it, it, it requires you to have a little bit more training and education. And I think that qualified, um, Immunity is that's that 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 hurts a lot of families. So these proposals you issue today, shortly after. Well, let, let me let me say that again so we can put it in terms of time. You put out those proposals Monday, early afternoon, Monday late morning. No, Monday morning at ten a.m. You put out those proposals Monday at 10 a.m. This is your Monday, and you're expecting maybe to talk to a bunch of people about it. And then by maybe Monday at noon or 1 o'clock, we find out the police chief has resigned. Right, by 10.30. <laughs> what were your reflections on that decision, on that announcement? I still haven't had time to have that um, process yet. And, you know... I think it's it's a good thing, but I haven't had time to process it and to figure out what went on to, to make her step down. She's been in office less than six months. Since Rosie Sizer, since 2010, in this decade, uh-huh. we have had Rosie Sizer, Mike Reese, Larry O'Day, Donna Henderson, Mike Marshman, Danielle Outlaw, Jamie Resch, and Chuck Lavelle. Let me count those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight police chiefs in 10 years. That's averaging just slightly over a year. The reason I, I have wondered for a while, if we swap out police chiefs, I mean, it's a big thing to do, right? It, it's a big move. It gets press. It dominates the coverage of public safety. And each time we, we swap out, a police chief, I think people think, oh, now something will change. Do you think the primary challenge is the selection of a police chief, or do we think what's going on is something deeper, something more structural, and not just about whoever is at the top? I think it's a combination of, of those, what you just said. I think there, there are some very deliberate actions that need to take place that comes from the chief's level, and there's some definite uh, follow-up that you have to do in order to do this kind of work and you have to be committed to it. Um, there's no turning back after you become chief of police. You, you, you are there and you have to make a commitment to the community 
that you are there to be accountable and to make those things change. Now, the, the systemic racism that we've seen that comes from bureaus, um, that's not gonna be changed overnight. It's not gonna be changed from, from hour to hour. Uh, those are the changes that have to take place. We have to do a couple of things that I did not say on here, but for sure, making sure that the new recruits who come into the police department, that they look like me and that they live in the community and that they live in those communities that they police, that is so important because you kind of have like outsiders, only 18% of the um, uh, police officers who police in Portland live in Portland. How do you get them to reside in Portland? Do you give them money? Do you require it as part of the contract? Incentives. You gotta give them incentives to, to, to live here uh, because it's hard to, um, it's hard to abuse your friends and your, and your family and people that you know. Uh, so if we incentivize them to stay here, and, 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 and let me just tell you this, this is not just exclusive to Portland. This is across the yep. country. This is, yep. a, this is an issue across the country. And um, I think that more people, we need to know who our next door neighbors are. We need to have professional people and our uh, you know, public safety officers living next door to us so they know. Just like when my son, um, when he first learned how to drive and got his license, he was pulled over, was pulled over in my car, it's a new SUV. He was pulled over because they didn't think that a young kid should have that and they, wanted to, they thought that it probably was stolen. And that shaped, that really shaped, I had prepared him as a young kid, you know, don't mess with the police. If you're ever pulled over, when he first started trying like, just give them what they want. Show them, you know, the driver's permit. You know, put your hands out the window, talk slowly. And um, it happened so quickly, he, moved, he put, pulled over and he began to ask them questions. Why did you pull me over? And, and, you know, he was telling me the story about it on the phone and he was obviously emotionally upset. And I said, just tell me where you're at and I'm coming to get you. Well, I had to get a ride because he had my car. But <laughs> he said, how, just, long, how, long ago, how long ago was this? So what was, was your current job? That was when he was 16 years old. So were you on the county commission then? No, 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 no. You were working for Senator Wyden then? Yes, yes, okay. exactly. Okay, so you're working with Senator Wyden. He has your car, so you don't have a car. This is a little bit before Uber was as big as it is now. So somehow exactly. you get away over there. Right, because I'm visiting relatives and I give him my car to, to, to drive while I'm visiting. And as it turns out, he's just around the corner from our house. He was so shaken up that he could not get himself together to drive around the corner. And so he's very clear right now. He's like, mom, I don't play no games with the police. I put my hands out. I don't say anything. I give them what they want. I try not to have any kind of conversation because I was kind of upset that I said, you know, I said, you arguing back with them, that's not a good thing. That's not, it's not good for you. And I don't know any black mother who can go to sleep at night when their kid is out in the evening. It's just, I can't, I could never sleep until he got in at night. And, and it's scary. No one should go, it's scary. No one should feel like that, but that's what comes with the territory. Minneapolis just announced 
had just a majority of their city council announced that they are going to disband their police department. And not that they won't have anybody to enforce the law, but they are going to start from scratch. They're going to start a new organization, a new safety and first response organization that's focused on community. What elements would you want to evaluate in order to consider a proposal somewhat similar to that? I think that's a mistake. I I think that um, what I'm suggesting in my new proposal, taking 20% of their budget away and putting it into communities that have been impacted um, by the police and and making sure that they have economic recovery um, is a better use of those resources to reinvent the wheel would probably be a mistake. We have to train and educate the folks that we have, and we need to make sure that they have the proper training. And we also need to make sure that we're taking some of those resources and put them back into the community and asking the community what they want. And um, I don't, I, I don't know the situation. I'm not really intimate with with all the specifics about Minneapolis. I heard about it, but um, I think that would be a mistake for Portland to do. So let's dwell on that just a moment. The, I mean, for 40 years now, you have had mayors and city councilors running on the need to transform the police culture. That is not something that began with with Nick Fish or you or Joanne Hardesty or Ted Wheeler or Sam Adams or Charlie Hales or heck Tom Potter. That has literally been a line that has been a priority of progressive candidates for city council for Mm -hmm. at least 40 years, because I have talked to candidates for the city council covering that span. And at some point, at some point reinventing the wheel, you wonder if what is there is a wheel, if it in fact is moving the car, if it in fact is working the way it ought to work. In fact, if we need a different kind of tool, what well, about something like Portland Street Response that is organized with a little yes. bit different charter, organized with a little different mission and training? What about having an additional force in addition yes. to the city council? So or let me addition back, to police So department? let me let me just reclarify what I what I meant to say. We do need to reinvent the wheel, but we don't need to throw it totally away. We need to add some parts to it so that we can have different outcomes. The outcomes that we're having with the current will is not working. Um, And we need to change how we do business, how we interact with folks and what is acceptable, excessive force and, and, and what's not. To put somebody, you know, down like they did George Floyd for eight minutes, just under nine minutes to do that. I mean, he was calling for his mother. He called out three times to his mom and his mom (laughs) passed away (laughs) some years ago. But that's what he thought. I mean, that's, that's who you call when you're in trouble as a kid. And even as an adult, I do it all the time. (laughs) And so to see him down there straining, and he, he had handcuffs on. He was not a threat to anybody. That kind of behavior is not acceptable. Doing a chokehold is not acceptable. So we have to change. We have to take this wheel and, put, and take some, some spikes off and put some others on and make sure that everybody has justice under the law. Right now, everyone, we don't. And that's why people are walking out in the streets. 
What do you have to say to the protesters? How are you feeling about that and any message you want them to hear from you? I'm inspired by the protesters. Um, I wish I could be out there every night with them. And I want them to protest until we get the amount of change that requires that we require to make change so that everyone has justice under the law. We, we don't know how long this is gonna last, but I don't think this is just like a, a one week, two week thing. I think people are so outraged and they're so committed to showing folks that this, it has to stop. And anytime we've been able to, to make change in this community, systemic change, um, when we changed the fair housing laws in 68 after Dr. King was assassinated on April 4th, 68, Lyndon Johnson, he, he pushed through the Fair Housing Act on, August, uh, on um, April 11th. Dr. King had been working on this for two years to get it passed, but he said as a legacy to Dr. King that he was pushing this through Congress, and that's how we got the Fair Housing Act. So this is a moment for change. This, this is a, a we're, we're in a moment right now that we, if we don't take advantage of this moment right now and get some legislation, resources, conversations um, going right now, there is no other time better than today. And that's why I dropped um, the, the police reform um, package that I did today. Is this the most important, most it was the biggest moment of opportunity in police reform and racial justice in your lifetime. I, definitely. Definitely. Do you worry that some people might think too small, think they might be able to get out of this by just, okay, we'll ban a couple things, you know, stop some chokeholds, maybe, you know, an alternative to tear gas and then call it good. What is your call to other city councilors, other candidates for city council, to the mayor, to legislators, to make sure that this moment is in fact seized? Well, everybody doesn't have to have that big idea, right? But if you see a big idea, come and support my idea, right? And so if you're supporting my big idea, you don't have to come up with it, but you just have to recognize that this is something that we need to move forward. And um, it is very personal for me. As an African-American woman, I have watched my cousins, I've watched my uncles, and, and I've watched my son and his friends go through a number of experiences as a black man and as a black kid. So for me to have an opportunity right now to change um, some of these uh, instances that I've seen personally and up close, this is, this, this, this is the right time. There is, no, there is no bigger time than today. Uh, Loretta, uh, former county commissioner, Loretta Smith, candidate for city council. I should remind folks, this was a really crowded, I, I should ask, ask at least a question about it. It was a really <laughs> crowded field, really cl crowded primary. One of the most hotly contested races for city council in city history. If you're going to count up the number of really credible potential leaders, leaders, potential leaders who are running, you ended up getting 19% of the vote. Uh, Dan Ryan, who now is also still running, got about 14, 15% of the vote. The, uh, what do you, what's the challenge facing you now as you try to reach out to that 80% of the voters who didn't vote for you and not knowing what that electorate might look like on August 11th, a time we don't normally have elections, but you know, the spilling right. Nick Fish's seat. So uh, this is August 11th. What do you need to right. communicate to voters most? 
what I need to communicate to, to voters that now is the time for change. Now is the time for someone who has spent their entire career trying to, trying to uh, fight racial justice, who has a track record and a history of working with communities of color and delivering resources and, and making sure that uh, folks who look like me, that they have a voice. Uh, prior to me coming to Multnomah County, there has been no permanent money put in the budget for um, you know, programs who serve people of color until I got there. I put general fund money in, in the budget for programs like Latino Network, NAYA, ERCO, SEI, um, Metropolitan, and Head Start. I put those dollars there. And as you know, uh, Jefferson, I started a summer jobs program, which I got recognized for by um, President Obama. Uh, we started with 25 kids and we ended up paying for 650 kids, which leveraged over 7,000 kids having summer jobs in the last eight years. So for me, I've been very committed and dedicated to making sure that our kids, number one, that, they're, that they have education, that they're trained, that they have opportunities, and that they're able to see what per public service looks like. And this is not going to change. And, and my uh, commitment to older adults is not going to change. But right now, we need to focus on how do we have racial justice and economic and political justice for um, people of color, particularly for folks who have been underemployed, unemployed, and trying to make sure those folks who are rent burdened, how do we help those people who are now center stage of this, you know, this is just the first act of this play. How do we help them move across the finish line to make sure we're getting everybody with resources and that we're creating policies, particularly that we're looking at each policy and every dollar with an equity lens. If we're not going to do that, then we're not doing our job. In 2020, does it make more sense? Is it smarter to run as a change candidate or as an experienced candidate that's connected to the power structure? Well, if I were to describe myself, I would describe myself as someone who has experience, but someone who's going to bring some change because we're up every, every year that I spent on the, the county commission, I changed some, some things. I changed some systems on how we did things and how we did business and who was able to benefit from the resources from this um, government safety net that, um, that we were over. So I think someone who has experience, someone who has a track record, someone who has been effective, and someone who's gonna put some changes into city government is someone that I would be looking for. And, and especially, I mean, this, we're, we're, we're also, in addition to this, this issue around George Floyd, we are in COVID-19 recovery. You gotta have someone who understands that federal budget and who has been able to bring federal resources to this community and knows what they look like, where they are. I did that for 10 years, working for Senator Wyden, working on a multi-trillion dollar budget. You gotta know how that money funnels down. You gotta know the right question to ask of our congressional delegation and how to push in a way that's appropriate. Is Multnomah County reopening too soon? We're seeing some spikes statewide, just a little spike so far. We've also got all the protesters out there who aren't all social distancing and not all of them wearing masks. 
the county just put in their reopening request that would happen this coming Friday. Is that a little too hasty? I'm not trying to push you one way or another. No, I, I, you know, I am, you know, Chair Kafori has a big job in determining what happens. And I know a lot of businesses and, and, and we want places to open so we can go out and eat and those kinds of things. But I'm really worried, even prior to the protesters, that that it may be a little bit too soon. But now that I've seen folks out there, I'm concerned what's going to happen in two or three weeks. I'm going to I'm concerned about the fallout of this last three weeks of this last two weeks. So I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm concerned. And um, we're the last one. We're the last county to to open up. And I think people are ready to go back to work. Uh, no one knows. Um, and so we just have to kind of play this by ear and then look at the data. The data is going to show if there's going to be a spike. And it's it's a waiting game right now. But I think we're taking, I mean, I think we're taking the precautions that we need to take. People know, wash your hands, put on a mask, be very careful about what you touch, put, put things on your, on your um, hands, your gloves on your hands. We, we have to do those things. Um, and I think she's looking at a lot of the, the information that's out there and trying to make the best decision uh, that she can to make sure that we're all safe. That's a big job. How's your family doing? My family is okay. I have a couple cousins who are um, in New York who who have um, COVID in their home, uh, uh, recovering. They were able to get tested, and they're doing okay. Yeah, they're they they were in the hospital, and but now they're back home, Ooh. and um, they are um, recovering nicely. But it's 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 a challenge. I got to ask one more thing, because in our previous conversation, you taught me this number. I, it was not a number that shocked me. It was a number that appalled me. Mm-hmm. But you taught me this, and I got to give you a chance. You've been working on not only police reform, but the entire cycle of incarceration. And I want uh, you should give the fact rather than me giving it the <laughs> ratio of, of the black population in our city and state relative to the jail population in our city and state. Right. But but yeah, broaden this out just from the moment of so let, so of police let me just reform. tell Go you. There, so let me tell you, there are two percent African Americans in the entire state of Oregon. And then when you boil that down, the majority of us live in in Multnomah County and it's 5.6% of um, the population. But we make up about 22% of the jail, black jail inmate population. And so when you talk about, I've been working on this issue for a while, I remember back in 2017, me and the ACLU teamed up and looked at the excessive force that was happening in our jails to black inmates. And it was like incredible. It was like four times the number of of, um, of inmates in there that they were being treated very poorly. And I asked for an investigation and um, because it was wrong. So we have to take responsibility. When we see something, we need to call a thing a thing. And I did that back in 2017, 2016. And I, I worked with Sheriff Staten to try to make things better in Multnomah County. Um, and, and we did a couple of things to, to improve those numbers. Is this a moment that you are grateful for in some respect? I can't say grateful for. Is this a moment that it, you're 
feeling more energy around seizing on that set of issues? Or is it also keeping you from talking about some other stuff that you want to talk about? Questions that I should be asking that aren't only about the cycle of racism in public safety, but is there anything that we're missing or that I'm missing while we're talking about these overlapping critical public health pandemics? Well, you, you need to also understand that, that Portland benefited greatly by the economic boom prior to the uh, pandemic. Um, but poverty, widespread poverty is an issue in Portland. And we need to be talking about how can we make sure that those folks who need to have permanent housing, how they're being housed. We need to talk about folks who are rent burdened. What can we do to help them? Uh, we also need to talk about an education. How do we educate our most vulnerable and who pays for that? Th those are real questions. And then our most basic issues, people need to eat. And how do you not just survive, but how do you thrive in a city where you have 44,000 people moving into the city of Portland every year for the last five years? Uh, we have a, a great place to live. The weather is great. We have nice activism. Um, we have a sustainable community and people like that. But there are a lot of people who are hurting. And, and those are the people that I'm going to be speaking up for. Those are the people that I'm going to kick down the doors of City Hall for to make sure that they have never, that they're never feeling like they don't have somebody who's going to be a voice for them. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I want us to reimagine what public safety looks like, reimagine what a new city hall can look like, because I'm excited about the thought that we could even have a majority minority um, city council. It, it in, in every way, you know, and I, and I won't go to church on you, but when you look in the Bible, it says those of us who, the least of us will be first. And so if you look at this and now you're going to see, it, there is a possibility. If I have anything to do about it, I'm going to be working real hard so that I'm sitting there with Joanne Hardesty and then I'm sitting there with uh, Carmen Rubio creating policies that are good for all our community. Because when we create policies for people of color, everybody benefits. Loretta, as you say, my name is Jefferson Smith, talking to Loretta Smith. Just by way of disclosure, we are not related uh, to our knowledge, but I want to say- my brother from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I take that as a high compliment. I want to say thank you so much for being so generous with time. I hope we can do this again in a few weeks when yes. it gets even closer to that August election. And we yes. can talk, hopefully not only about the recent You should have me tragedy. and Mingus on at the same time. All right. All right. We'll, we'll be, we, we'll be talking to him again soon, but we'll, we'll do this again. Thank you so much. Okay. Loretta. Thanks, All right. Jefferson. Be well. Love to your Bye -bye. family. Take care. Uh-huh.